For every successful creator project, there's an equal and opposite one that didn't happen. A sort of parallel universe of possibility that only its creator will ever know about, until now. And I'll be your guide as we speak with artists and innovators about the forking paths and roads less traveled that led to their creative breakthroughs. It's the intersection of possibility, where what-ifs and why-nots collide. Some on the cutting edge, others on the cutting room floor. It's a place I like to call The Bleed. You are listening to Storygram Podcast Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. It's The Bleed, conversations with creative entrepreneurs on the cutting edge. I'm your host, Daedalus Howell, and today I'm talking with Jim Moran. He's the founder and CEO of Semper Smart Games, and he's come out with this game that's just perfectly timed for an election year. It's called Election Night, and it explains through play how the Electoral College works, which, let's face it, no one knows how it works. But my kids do because uh, they love this game and they play it. So let's talk with Jim about making games, making this game, and making it in the game space. Election Night, with an exclamation mark, well-deserved. Yeah, I mean, not just because you've hit the nail on the head by releasing a game of this nature at the most opportune time possible because of this very exciting election year, but it's a great game. I played it. The strangest thing, man, my partner, she bought the game for our family, completely unaware of the fact that we're going to do this interview. <laughs> and then it arrived and we played it and the kids loved it we loved it and here we are talking so it, we are destined you have my nice. vote yeah <laughs> very good <laughs> yeah the impetus for creating this game i know that you have kids of your own and i yeah. know that besides having a career-long adventure in the coast guard you were also a tutor uh, for act and sat tests that's right was this kind of game, which has a tremendous and very realized and valuable educational component, was this born of, of the need to teach? I think so. I got a lot of satisfaction out of tutoring students kind of in my local area when I got a little long in my Coast Guard career. Before that, I tried to help service members kind of prepare for some of these tests. A lot of them were going to get the GI Bill. I was an educational services officer on board one of my first Coast Guard cutters. It was like a collateral duty that kind of helped kids out with. My parents were teachers. My wife's parents, partner's teachers, where parents were teachers. It's just something I've got a lot of satisfaction out of. And I think when my daughters were kind of going through the elementary school experience, I really started realizing the things that they were trying to learn and which of those things that I saw as real gaps with the high school students I worked with. And math fact fluency was one of those. You somehow in our education system, you learn these math facts at a certain age, and then you don't really work on them that much anymore. If you're not doing something to like reinforce that, and those are really the building blocks for math. So, you know, numbers really are interesting to some people, but I don't think they have a lot of meaning to people. And I know that our memory is really kind of rooted in 
meaning. So I just tried to create a game based on the interests of where my daughters were at a time with my PlaySmart dice system and try to give them a game that they would like that would also help them kind of reinforce like math facts and, and fluency for for years to come, if not forever. Yeah, we should talk about the dice themselves or the individual dies. Is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a dice or die? yeah. They're not like six-sided cubic dice that we would normally associate with gaming apart from Dungeons and Dragons, right? How many sides? I can't remember. Eight Twelve sides. Twelve sides. Those are really the nicest dice to roll, I think. That's what gamers report. So <laughs> I played a lot of D&D younger. I'm getting back into it with my kids, too. And really, I could have done my dice system with cubes, but they don't roll so well. And I have a friend, Matt Fleming, who actually had done a couple Kickstarters, double six dice. And he had kind of rebrought this concept back of just putting one through six twice on a dodecahedron on a 12-sided dice just so they roll better and yeah. his kickstarters did amazing so when i was trying to make a dice engine for what i set out to make which was an rpg game that was focused on the interests of my daughters right out of the gate i knew i had to have something different with my dice but when i came up with a different number system that emphasized harder to learn number combinations i kind of took a cue from matt Fleming of double six dice and I put them on dodecahedrons. And then you patented it. <laughs> I did. Well, the patent's pending. That's going to be right. It's a patent pending. <laughs> yeah, we're going back and forth on that. Did you get an email from Matt saying, like your dice, dude? <laughs> well, he found out his dice, he actually had thought of it just by himself, but a guy in the 70s had actually already patented his model he just never was able to like in the pre-internet age popularize them yeah when maybe game makers were just really had a kind of a monopoly <laughs> so to speak right, right. <laughs> on the dice world so that patent had expired so he doesn't have any intellectual property claims to that and he found that out researching it but then i figured like with my new number system i mean i kind of just added that on as i was working on this rpg idea for my daughters i realized how many ones and twos came up on normal dice right and tens and nines and you know <laughs> i tell my kids that uh all numbers are not created equal, you know. <laughs> so yeah. uh, it's kind of, I mean, it's a literal expression. But, you know, what I mean by that is that somehow we learn to add certain numbers, obviously, in the base 10 system or any math system, much easier than others. And then we struggle with some for a lifetime. So ironically, in the dawn of app games, we started able to, you know, get a, a lot better idea of what kids through math apps were getting wrong most frequently. Oh, that's interesting. So you got actual data to work with. Yeah, wow. you yeah. know, it was published data from math learning apps, like which sums and products are the most difficult or the kids struggle with the most on tests. And I just made a dice system that could approximate those the best. I think you really got it, man. When we were playing, I would find myself looking at the dice I'd thrown and realizing I couldn't just instantly say what the, the sum was because they were strange combinations, like eights and sixes yeah. and stuff. And, yeah, and it, it was out like eight plus five is the hardest 
sum yeah. of single digit numbers <laughs> and it's followed by seven times six. It works differently for different people, but yeah, it is amazing. You realize that with these dice. I, I think that's true. And so because I came to the game cold, it became apparent to me that I was having trouble adding, that I wasn't doing as quickly as I expected. And then I realized, wait, this is an educational game. <laughs> <laughs> I was really halfway into it. I realized, oh, wait a second. I'm okay. This is well, well played. Well played. Yeah. Mr. Moran. <laughs> Moran. But, uh, yeah, there's some people that have run some programs on the dice and what the, the mode is for different sets. Cause I interchange, I have the multi dice. They go three through nine without fives. I really de-emphasize threes and nines in some of the sets. I eliminate ones and twos. Tens are out. I mean, you get it when you start playing with them. Yeah. And they're not perfect. They're actually not as perfect as what you could just do with a kind of randomized number generator. And you could actually use machine learning to find out. And that's what the learning apps do today. They basically see what a kid is having trouble with. And then they emphasize that. Right. So they're not that perfect. But what they do have over those learning tools, so to speak, those optimized technological tools is um, dice are tactile. And we know yes. that they're way more multisensory. They're engaging the brain in a different way. And they're a little probably more socialized when they're doing it in a group, like in a board game. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people are appreciating that a lot more these days. Yeah. And they're great to roll. As you say, that tactile experience actually is really additive. I found it was very satisfying, you know? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. We made them like 25 millimeters too. So like they feel chunky in a kid's hand, like they got something. They're significant. Yeah. And so let's talk about the creative process behind election night itself. So you develop some of the aspects of the system, like the dice, but then you found a way to apply them in a space that I guess you started with an RPG in mind, but then you evolved into election night. Walk us through that so it was very iterative kind of like the american voting system it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. they haven't perfected it yet i <laughs> no no and a lot of people don't really know how it works but i think if everyone plays this game you kind of get it you know good or bad but this is a game for presidency that it's non-political so Hey, that's a good point. Just a quick pivot here. People pick sides as they acquire states, and it's oftentimes they follow red-blue patterns, I found. Yeah. <laughs> Instinctively, I guess. I don't know. But right. yeah, it doesn't matter really what side you're on, apart from your own team. That's right. We do have a red and a blue team. That's as political as it gets. We don't make any overt statements or anything about it. But I don't know what age it is. I imagine it's an age somewhat older than my children's friends and their cohort. Some of them are beginning to be politicized, but they're still not in a place where they've let our party system co-opt their colors. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, as we know that as adults. When I was creating it, I really had my first dice game where I did on Kickstarter. I just did it one day after work and just did a kind of a funny film in our dining room with my daughters. That's a pretty funny job. We're launching a new game on saturday and i look back at that first video when we were launching the dice and i have to laugh but (laughs) it's pretty endearing to our family experience but you could look at that first kickstarter and i was just throwing lots of different things on the wall like what can you do with these dice what do people want to do with these dice and i had a ton of game ideas i have a lot of sports games ideas i have a lot of other game ideas where I, and I think I might have some contests that we might do for scholarships and stuff in the future oh, wow. where kids to develop games with the dice. But 
I sent out like 10 play sheets. I had RPG kind of inspired adventure sheets, a space adventure kind of series that I did with the dice. And then I had this electoral college game. I was trying to work on a European travel game. I was working <laughs> on a game that actually looks a lot like this game Trekking the World right now, almost exactly, except I have a math component to it from Underdog Games. We won the Parents' Choice Gold with them in 2019, uh, one of five games, so I'm familiar with their work, but I'm sure they weren't aware of the game that I had developed earlier. But it never got traction, and it seems like after I put those play sheets out there, they were kind of print-and-play ideas for the dice, the most attention... I got was on that electoral college game. And that's when I thought, well, all right, let's try to get some momentum with these dice. And this is what people want to do. And the electoral college turns out it can be a pretty good area control game if you sketch it out right. You can make some simple rules, but you've got to make some real strategic choices when you're doing it, which actually kind of math based. So, and then kids can understand the rules pretty quickly. So I think that's why people respond to it. Yeah, our guys are 11 and 12 now, and they really took to it. And then a cousin came over, and my brother stole the game. So, so, so I, <laughs> I'll send you another one. <laughs> yeah, I think I'll buy, I'll, I'll buy another one because I don't think it's coming back. <laughs> so, but the iterative process is really fascinating to me that you, in part, kind of let your audience choose the game, right? Yes. Yeah, they're very smart. Market research. Yeah, and I think that I used that first campaign. I put those sheets out there, and I talked to people about it. There were some people that it turned off right away, and I think it's getting really popular now, but it's taking a while for people to see a game about the U.S. presidential election and not go to a dark place in their mind or an angry place <laughs> or have these emotions. Right. And, you know, there, there, there's a certain civics principle in me that says, you know, this is just something we should all know first off right yeah. so we can make a game of it no matter how you feel about it we should all know it right and if you have an issue this is your opportunity to learn how to fix it that's right how it works how it could be fair how it could be not fair the electoral map changes also every four years so i'm looking forward to kind of putting out a new edition in march i guess when it changes oh wow yeah because every time you're after the census, and that's constitutionally based, but part of me would love to do a little book kind of like, these are what the electoral maps looks like throughout time, because it changes and it shows you where the populations were moving in our country. So there's a lot more you can infer from the electoral map, too. Like, why is California and Texas these nonagon states, as I call them? Because the, the people that are listening, I assign geometric shapes to the states based on how many electoral votes they have, which is based on their reported population through the previous census. I don't have it in the game, but I probably should have put something in there about the census, too, about how important that is for people. Well, it sounds like you've got a new edition coming out in March. So yeah, <laughs> I'm going to put some census stuff in there, too. <laughs> yeah. But that's great. And I love the fact that it's upgradable. Again, it's iterative. You can keep improving it, and you have to get the latest edition. But I also love the fact that you can go backwards in time. Yeah, well, that's right. We've got some ideas how we might do that. But again, I, I'm a big iterative believer, so I would test them out and see what people think because I don't have a shortage of ideas. But So let's talk about the creative process in general because now you have Blobby's Pizza coming up, right? Why games? And why is that the way you express your creativity? 
Well, homework and helping kids with homework in my current situation is really a stressful thing. If you can make a game of something that's difficult for someone, that is like when their mind is most engaged, those memory neurons are so exposed to sucking up information like a sponge. So if somehow you can take difficult concepts or things people have a hard time remembering, give them meaning in the context of a game when they're very engaged, I think you win. Mm -hmm. So I've tried to go for the hardest kind of holy grail items as my kids go through the elementary school experience. Some of these things I kind of forget myself. You know, what was hard? Well, the eight tables were hard and the seven tables were hard. And then it's kind of intuitive, but like there's no games out there that do that. I mean, I played a lot of cribbage as a kid and I look back on that and I was like, wow, that was a great kind of math game hidden in a great kind of competitive game. But Which is what you have with Election Night. It's a great math game hidden in a competitive game. Right, and that's what I try to do. So, I mean, my process has been to start with the difficult and try to make it as fun as like a game you'd play anyway on a family game night. And if you can give it that extra value that kind of is baked into the fun experience can really help people out and really give them a enriching experience. The Blobby's Pizza literally was my first thought towards creating a card game with pizza and monsters. After I created election night, the next time my oldest daughter came to me for help with math homework was with fractions. And she had learned all our times tables going into third grade because we were playing election night. We were in the process of developing it and beta testing it. And she just learned her times tables so quickly that once you learn your times tables and math operations with math facts at a certain age, you're good for math for a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> then the next thing was fractions. So I was like, all right, how do we make these fun? And then how do we actually create something that teaches them a little bit about not only fractions, but decimals and percentages? Sometime down the line, I, well, why do you need percentages? This is pre-COVID, but I was at a restaurant and there were some people talking about not being able to figure out tips in their head. It's an important thing. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. you might be able to get away with leaving big tips and seem like a big tipper. You know, in the old days when they used to have business meetings, at lunch, I can imagine like people might judge you if you can't figure out percentages. Right. Right. But, right. but it's the kind of like basic math skill that otherwise really smart people could struggle with for a lifetime if they don't learn it early on and they don't learn how to do it in the context of, you know, non-threatening context like a math test, rather something where they're competing fun. They have no time limit. They can figure it out. And you try to create competitive moments that are not necessarily stressful for them. Right. And then that's what I try to do. And pizza is a great metaphor, too, for kids, for fractions. But there's a ton of bad pizza games out there. That are <laughs> I mean, it's like the classic. It's the classic educator's approach. Like, well, pizza's fun. Okay. <laughs> you know, I'm like, no, you got to do pizza. You got to do cute monsters. You got to have a game where you have to put some of your pizza on a table. Some of these monsters can steal your pizza. You got to have some pizza theft involved here. You got to be making different types of pizza to get credit for that pizza. So it's a good entree. There's a lot of bad pizza worksheets out there. that got <laughs> another pizza at me. Like... <laughs> Well, Jim Moran, I've had a real pleasure talking with you, man. And thanks for walking us through everything you're doing. And I hope we keep in touch because uh, yeah. I'd like to keep up with what's happening. Now, you're in New York, right? 
No, I'm in Northern Virginia right now. What? It's where I retired from the Coast Guard. My wife works here, so we're kind of like in the Northern Virginia capital region, which I thought also would have helped with my game launch. Oh, yeah. You're real close. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm just north of San Francisco in uh, wine country here in California. So. <laughs> it's, but I haven't been outside in days. So. I hope to get out there at some point soon, but like, yeah, these strange times are just a new era for all that. I know. This is not the apocalypse they promised us in the 80s. You know, this is. <laughs> no, no, we have to be a little bit more thoughtful. It's, you know, there's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, imagine that. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. We're having the game on the 22nd is the, uh, the Kickstarter release of Lobby's Pizzas. Well, a real pleasure, man. I really appreciate it. To learn more about Jim Moran and Semper Smart Games, go to SemperSmartGames.com. That's S-E-M-P-E-R SmartGames.com. And you can even pre-order his new math game, Blobby's Pizza. When it comes to your podcast hosting, however, do not play games. Don't mess around. Go straight to Transistor.fm. There are generous hosts, and they should host your podcast as well, or your podcast network, like ours, Storygram, at Storygram.com. And that's with two M's and an E, because, you know, it's kind of like gramophone. I think it's spelled like that. I'm Daedalus Howell, and you've been listening to The Bleed. short teasers are excerpts from comedian Aiden Park's book, The Art of Being Yay. Think self-empowerment with a comedic twist. These are tough times we're all going through. Who couldn't use a little mental health wellness and laughter? For more of The Art of Being Yay, visit AidenPark.com. That's A-I-D-A-N-P-A-R-K.com. Sponsored by The Laugh Cellar and Storygram Podcast Network. The caveman days where we were, you know, out there, you know, collecting berries or whatever. And then we see a big bear hurling toward us, right? And then we feel a sense of fear. <gasps> fear, right? Why? Because fear is a danger alert and it creates a fight or flight response in you. So you better fight the danger or flee from the danger. One or the other. That is a natural response. Fear is a natural response. But nowadays, <laughs> people are like, you feel fear, you're a pussy. And so you better defeat that fear. Be fearless. Do it. And then it's like, should you really be fearless of jumping out of a plane? Do you, I mean, is there, is there, is there some room there <laughs> for fear to exist? Like, is that a logical and primal human response that should actually be honored instead of ignored because you're a man. Like, for some reason, you know, fear has been associated with being a pussy. And so all these guys are like, I'm going to go swimming with shark-infested waters with one arm tied behind my back. And because I'm a man. And then, you know, they lose arms and legs. And they're like, oh, I lost my arms and legs. And then they do a GoFundMe. Come on.